Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today, we got Carson Hosevar on the show with us. You'll be hearing from him from years and years to come. A very young, talented race car driver. And we heard his story a little bit. It was great to catch up with him. Plus, a short recap of Hendrick's domination at Dover. That was a butt-whooping, wasn't it? But before any of that, we're paying homage to, well, I'll let Papa Siegel take it as always this week. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 108. Today, we continue our trend of looking back on old-time NASCAR characters. No results really worth mentioning for the 08, so what to do? The way I see it, I didn't start these segments until the podcast count was almost in the 70s, so I missed out on all the numbers before then. So, on today's episode 108, I'm taking a look back at number 8. The 8's history is as full and noteworthy as the 08's is thin and unremarkable. Last week, we highlighted Clint Boyer and Cuckoo Marlin, two real NASCAR characters. Before them, there was Joe Weatherly. In the early days of NASCAR, Little Joe enjoyed playing to the crowd and living large. He got the nickname of the Clown Prince of Racing from taking practice laps wearing a Peter Pan suit. And in 1956, at a convertible series race in Raleigh, when Weatherly's engine blew and with his car ablaze, he crossed the finish line standing up in what looked like a chariot of fire. When he wasn't staying out late and whooping it up with his pal Curtis Turner, Weatherly was a serious racer. He actually started his racing career as a motorcycle man. He won three AMA Nationals between 1946 and 1950. He began racing cars in 1950 and won the first modified event he entered. He won the modified championship in 1952 and 1953 before moving up to the NASCAR Cup Series. He drove for legendary car owners Holman Moody, as well as Bud Moore. He would win 25 races over a 12-year career and took home the Cup Championship in 1962 and 1963, driving number eight. Weatherly's racing career ended tragically. In 1964, at Riverside, his brakes failed entering turn six. As I often say, they were different times, and little Joe wasn't wearing a shoulder harness, nor did he have a window net installed in his car for fear of escaping a fire. It would prove his undoing, as upon impact, his head was jerked out of the driver's side window and impacted the retaining wall. Weatherly died instantly. He was 41 years old. Weatherly was the first reigning cup champ to die the following year. He unfortunately was joined by Alan Kulwicki in that dubious club years later. Weatherly's accident, together with Richard Petty's famous Darlington crash in 1970, the one where he was tumbling like a rag doll, 
eventually prompted NASCAR to mandate window netting. Joe Weatherly was named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers in 1988. He was inducted into the AMA Motorcycle Hall of Fame in 1998, and he was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame in 2015. To my knowledge, he's the only racer who's been inducted into both of those hallowed halls. That's all for this week. Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. Appreciate you giving us that history lesson, as always, this week. Let's start off this episode, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned reggaeton. Dry Dean 400 from Dover International Speedway, dominated by Hendrick Motorsports. Not much else to be said there, is there? One, two, three, four, finish for the first time in their organization's history. First time since 2005. Second time ever in the modern era. Fourth time ever in NASCAR history. That was impressive. Alex Bowman wins the race. His pit crew gave him a sub-12 second pit stop, the quickest one all season long for the race lead, and he did not relinquish it for the last 100 laps. Second win of the season for Alex Bowman joins Martin Truex Jr. as the only other repeat winner in the Cup Series this season. Um, I think straight up the five was a little bit better than us, but I knew that, um, you know, track position was key and clean air was tough today, um, tougher than previous races here, I feel like a little bit. So I just felt like if I could keep the bottom closed off, um, it'd be pretty hard for him to get to me. And if he did get to me, he'd have to wear stuff out pretty bad. So, um, yeah, I mean, my pit crew, I feel like won the race, you know, getting us off pit road first there, but man, just uh, really cool to get to race Kyle and have such a great day for, for Hendrick Motorsports. 25th second place finish in his career for Kyle Larson. God, just imagine if he turned half of those into wins. He led 263 laps, over half of them, dominated the race, but came home in second. And I was kind of surprised, but he wasn't really that mad or disappointed at the finish because, as he says, he couldn't really do anything. I I honestly don't know if there was anything I could have done differently to to win the race um, after we got came out second on pit road. Um, you know, I, I would choose the top behind him and get to second every time. Um, you know, maybe I could have chose the bottom one restart, but I still don't think I would have gotten stayed with him to his inside or anything like that. Probably would have fell back to third or so. So, um, I feel like we maximized our day. We were all just so equal. I think any of the four of us could have been out in the lead and that person probably would have won. So, um, just, uh, yeah, just, you know, we were all equal and, and their, their picker did an awesome job, but, um, our picker has been amazing all year too. So, um, like I said, I'm not, I'm not disappointed or upset about this second, um, because I feel like there wasn't anything else I could do. And how about Mr. H himself? He's been a team owner for a long while. He's a NASCAR hall of famer. He's had a lot of hall of famers in his stable, which I asked him about. And this is one of those days that he will remember for the rest of his life. There's, It's not often that you see this happen again. Only the second time ever in the modern era. So when it does, you got to revel in it because it's a rarity. Every time you enter a race, you'd like to see him uh, run one, two, three, four. But, uh, you know, the, the the feeling is is unbelievable. It was uh, probably the longest last 100 laps that I've ever seen in a race just because – uh, 
I kind of wanted to see it so bad. We're so close and uh, to be able to pull that off, that's kind of one of those things in racing that you would, uh, would, would say was on your bucket list. So, so I'm extremely happy and proud of all the guys and uh, it was a great day for the organization. Not the most compelling race I've ever seen in my life, but with a 750 package, I could see drivers were absolutely slinging it in the corners. A lot of G-forces, a lot of load at Dover, as always. Uh, I enjoyed being there for it, and I talked a little bit about it on the Front Stretch podcast, but you could feel an energy at the track on Sunday. There were a lot of fans there, lines at the souvenir haulers, parking lots were crowded and flooded, people tailgating, walking around. There was a pop-up vaccination tent out the track. There was a palpable energy at the track, and I think it was probably a combination of a bunch of things. Fans being back overall, sun shining, no rain in the forecast, but also just a good old-fashioned race day. Like, besides no practice and qualifying, Sunday at least, which is the only day I was at Dover, it felt normal, and that was such a welcome development, and I just so appreciative that I was able to be there on behalf of Front Stretch, so... If you were there, I hope you enjoyed the race. And if you chose to get vaccinated there, congratulations to you. Good job. We're getting almost fully back to normal. Thanks to all those vaccines. Austin Sindrick also won his third Xfinity Series race of the season on Saturday. Led, I believe, also the last 100 laps or so en route to the victory. He was not Dash for Cash eligible. Justin Allgaier was. He got that $100,000 bonus for Junior Motorsports, their fourth in a row. Sweep all the dash for cashes this year. Kelly and Dale's got to be happy about that. But let's hear from the winner, Austin Sindrick. His first career win at Dover. He's never finished outside the top 10 at that track. And his third win of the season for Penske. There's just very few places that, that really have the same intensity uh, throughout a lap. Just one lap. I mean, it's really hard. It's honestly quite challenging to race here. Obviously, we were able to make it back from, from 16th uh, starting position today, which I knew was going to be our biggest challenge um, throughout the course of the race and we were able to kind of pick our way through. But uh, no, ever since I came here the first time in a, in a truck, this place has kind of wowed me. Uh, I've had the opportunity to drive at some really cool racetracks in, in my life and in my career. And, and anywhere you can have elevation changes and, and really have one lap intensity and, and something that makes you beg to get around for the next lap is, is something that makes a racetrack fun. It makes it inviting, at least for a driver like me. So uh, to be able to do it, and we took one off the schedule you know we've had a dover race uh, twice on the xfinity schedule uh since i started racing xfinity and we took one off the schedule and i really wanted to win here so bad and uh, i definitely had to, to not let that desire cloud my judgment today because you know I, I knew we had a pretty tough task ahead of us but uh you know to to get the opportunities there on the restart and, and to be able to really showcase our car in clean air uh means the world to me i'm i'm very very excited got to give a shout out to ty gibbs as well he leads every single lap once again in the Arkham Menard Series race, did not blow a right front tire like so many other drivers did. He wins the Arca race at Dover as well. Good weekend at the Monster Mile, the only weekend of racing this year there for the first time in over 50 years. Been a hell of a run. All good things must come to an end. That means that two races at Dover is ending, but for now, we're still keeping that one race. I really don't want to see that go away. Uh, have some potential fears that it may in the near future. I have no inside knowledge of that, just seeing the writing on the wall and whatnot. But who knows, man? I love Dover. It's my home track, always will be. And I enjoyed the racing on Sunday. I hope you guys did too. Interview time. Let's chit-chat with Carson Hosevar, driver of the 42 Chevrolet Silverado in the truck series for Nice Motorsports. 
I hope you guys enjoy this because uh, <laughs> we went back and forth so many times to try to schedule this conversation. Apologies for the audio at some parts of it because we recorded one portion of it one week and then tried to get it with him for the next portion. And then we finally did earlier this week and it was a much better connection and uh, Carson was in great form as always. We talked about a lot of stuff. His whole career, NASCAR had to change a rule so that they could prevent him from winning. It's a pretty impressive thing to put on his resume. Chatted about his influence from Johnny Benson, his time in the Truck Series this year, and some potential things looking at in the future for him, as well as some off-track things to learn a little bit about Carson. So without further ado, here is my chat with the driver of the 42 Chevrolet for Nice Motorsports. It's Carson Hosevar. Pleasure to be joined this week by the driver of the 42 truck for Nice Motorsports this year in the truck series. His name is Carson Hosevar, and you should get to know that name because he's going to be around in NASCAR circles for a very, very long time to come. Thanks for joining me, Carson. I want to start off. I feel like a lot of people probably butcher your last name. Hosevar, Hochevar, Hosevar. Do you get everybody messing it up a lot? Because I feel like that's probably a name that people butcher. Yeah, uh, no, you, you nailed it on uh, host of bar, uh, but yeah, a lot of people, uh, you know, it's it's a tough one for sure for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see why. I'm glad that I nailed it, though. We're off to a good start. So are you this year. You're off to a really good start this year in the truck series with Nice, but overall, you keep really, really busy. You're running a ton of late model races and I think a few different series. I looked on your website, I think around 40 to 44, maybe 45 races in total over the course of the year. Now for NASCAR people, that's a lot, but for short trackers like yourself, that's probably just a walk in the park. Do you usually race that much or is this a little bit of a, a different number for you this year? No, uh, you know, this, this has definitely been about the races I've had, uh, growing up. Um, you know, I'm just used to the busy schedule from quarter minutes, mm -hmm. uh, and, and now to here, um, you know, it, it's translated either more late models or more trucks throughout the years or more ARCA. Um, but glad we can do a lot of late models and, and trucks this year. Where are you at right now? It looks like you're in like a motorhome or something. Yeah, we just got done testing at uh, Winchester Speedway for the late model race next week. So wait, is that the Winchester 400? I'm probably sounding dumb. Uh, no, the flyover 150. Uh, okay. The Winchester 400s in, I think, October. In okay. the fall, that shows my ignorance with short track racing. I'm learning, but... I'm ignorant with that. So, okay, cool. We'll get to that because I know you've won that race before. Uh, hope the test went well today, though. I noticed when I was researching you, you're from a town called Portage, Michigan, which is about 90 or so minutes from the good old capital, East Lansing. Well, Lansing, but I went to Michigan State, so that's why I looked up East Lansing and how far away it was. Do you ever get up to East Lansing for any reason whatsoever, just out of personal curiosity? Uh, no, not, not, not recently. Um, the first time I ever drove a quarter midget was at Lansing, but, uh, oh. uh, no, no, not very often. Well, I know that there's some small track up there. I don't even think that late models could race on. It's called Spartan Speedway. I've driven by it a couple times. I've never seen a race there, but that's cool. At least you raced there before I had to ask that. Um, but I know Portage is around the Kalamazoo area and your home track was Berlin Raceway. Is that right? Yep. That's correct. Yeah, so you raced there growing up a bunch. Obviously, you, you started in quarter midges, as you said, worked your way up to some bigger vehicles here and there. So Berlin will always hold a special place in your heart, no matter how high up you go in these NASCAR ranks. 
yeah uh you know that was the first real stock car track that i went to and raced at and then uh you know got my first ever win in a stock car there in a super late model so mm -hmm. uh yeah that's definitely home so how did you get started, Carson? Tell the people that may not be too familiar with you or your story. You're so young. By the way, I need to get this out of the way. Whenever I interview somebody that was born after the year 2000, a little part of me dies inside. It's just like ridiculous how young you are. But how did you get started? Was this, was this in your family from the get-go? Are you a first-generation racer? Educate me and some of the listeners on how you got started with this racing journey. Yeah, no, uh, my, my dad jokes all the time that he was built for comfort, not speed. And uh, so, no, I watched it on TV and uh, went to the racetrack when I was real little and got to at least learn a little bit about it and got racing quarter midgets after finding how to, how to race and uh, just basically fell in love with it from there and um, got the chance to work with Johnny Benson a bit and work mm -hmm. on, you know, super late models and outlaw late models and got able to run really good there uh for berlin and and got the chance to run arc a little bit and, and it's really been a stepping stone for uh you know our deal with these motorsports last year running part-time and now full-time this year so your dad's built for comfort not for speed i can relate to that in, in more ways than one uh when you got the racing bug you're watching on tv and you finally twist his arm enough and you say hey dad let's go try it for real what was his reaction? Uh, he was, uh, my, my mom was, was pushing it. was not, not hundred percent sure about it. He was, uh, you know, dragging his feet a little bit, just making sure I, that's really what I wanted to do. And, um, I tried every other sport in the book. It wasn't really good at it. And, uh, uh, you know, just fell in love with the racing thing. Are you the winningest driver in USAC history? Because I saw that and I thought to myself, okay, he's really young. I know he's had a ton of success. But that still seems crazy to me. That's correct, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to run a lot of quarter midget races. Uh, you know, I think ran 52 weekend or almost every weekend of the year, wow. and uh, you know, just happened to win uh, quite a bit. And uh, I had good people around me, and it was it was a blast. But yeah, one winningest driver in quarter midget history in USAC. Wow, that is nuts. When you were when you took that title. Did you realize that that was a big deal or I guess, is it a big deal to you? Uh, I mean, it's, it's not huge. I mean, it is just quarter midgets and everything. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think looking back on it now, just having the name there and what USEC is, how big USEC is, um, you know, I appreciate it a lot more than when I was 11, when I broke the record, I just wanted to win. You know, I was probably mad that I, they, we would have multiple classes. I was probably mad about still the one race that I, I didn't win that weekend more than anything. Yeah. You're, you're a classic race car driver. So you got that going mm -hmm. for you. Cause that's the race car driver answer. So you had a lot of success there. And then I know you moved up to stock cars, I believe at age 12, you won at Berlin. Uh, and I think that was one of, if not your first weekends driving a stock car at Berlin. What was that entire weekend like for you? Just kind of getting immersed in this, new car, new equipment type of thing and going out there and having immediate success. Yeah, it's, uh, it was different for sure because we were going to test quite a bit in the off season and like first few laps we blew up and, you know, just everything kept trickling down and it wasn't till Friday that I really got in the car for the first time and had a full days of testing and we raced Saturday. So, 
Uh, it was different for my crew guys because they, they had the joke that they teach me to shift on Friday and then t- taught me to shift how to race Saturday. Um, cause I've never ran, um, you know, you know manual transmission before. So that was, yeah. everything was so different. And, uh, you know, I, I took to the template side a lot better than the outlaw late mall side to say that. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out pretty well. You had a good guy helping you as well. You mentioned earlier, Johnny Benson, He's kind of been alongside with you in tandem with your career. How did you get hooked up with him? Because, I mean, NASCAR fans that are listening know that name. Truck Series fans obviously know that name as well. So how did you get hooked up with him? I mean, he's a legend in the sport. Uh, Well, I mean, it's just kind of a perfect storm. Uh, It's been happening. It happened for years, even when I was still fairly new to quarter midgets. My dad didn't know anything about racing or anything and he has a little business and tried to like sponsor it a little bit just a small little quarter panel sponsor just to kind of get his just kind of learn at uh Kalamazoo Speedway and then they started running at Berlin and stuff and uh the, the guy he sponsored happened to uh have Johnny ben- Johnny Benson uh race cars so kind of had that relationship a little bit and it trickled into a little bit more sponsorship and this and that trying to learn the more I liked it the more he got involved and which it it's was so fun and obviously uh you know my dad would say you know johnny you could come help my kid and this and that so i got to learn him i got to you know learn from him a little bit i was gonna buy his outlaw and uh he was kind of interested in, in mentoring me more than just you know kind of helping me out and you know here, here's here's your car bud and, you know have fun um which has been really special to me because you know he's he's got plenty to do and he's been there seen it all he didn't have to come help me at all and he still helps me to this day so that's it's, it's been fun yeah that's really cool we'll get back to him because i got some more questions about him but just moving along chronologically here i believe the year after we mentioned you know you're 12 years old got reacclimated to stock cars pretty quickly the year after that you won in a super late model at berlin your home track not many people that young win races period Not many people that young win races that easily as well. And so much so that NASCAR had to issue a rules bulletin that parked you until you were age 14. So congratulations. You made an entire sanctioning body change a rule because you had so much damn success when you were 13 years old. (laughs) Well, thank you. That's always the the most uh, accomplishment I think in racing is when they make a rule. Top of the resume. But yeah, uh, you know, like you said, I ran... I ran age 13 a temple late model, but I ran age 12 uh, an outlaw late model. And the only difference was Berlin changed to a NASCAR sanction when I turned 13. Right. And I was terrible at the outlaw late model. I couldn't understand it because it's so much faster and everything and all the downforce. I didn't know anything about air, didn't know a thing. And, you know, with the template stuff, you're, you're sideways looking for lateral grip. I went from running back of the pack in the outlaw to, I think I had finished like fourth, third, and one. Wow. in the third night and um and nascar was cool with everything but they didn't they probably expected me to run where i was running in the outlaw not you know up front all of a sudden yeah um so so they had to change the rule and there's a lot of politics involved down south with another kid um so so when they they heard about me they uh they had to do something <laughs> So, like, when they did that, though, were you mad, annoyed, frustrated, saying that it's unfair? Did you understand? What were what were you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I understood it. Um, you know, I get it. I, I don't let things really get to me a lot. So I was like, oh, you know, it is what it is. But I also kind of, like, 
selfishly was like, okay, well now we could go travel and, and run everything and run all the, the other races in the Jeg series, which yeah. allowed 13 year olds. So, um, that was really fun. So I got to do that a lot earlier. And I think that ended up being the right, right decision. You know, I think everything happens for a reason. I think that was the best thing that could have happened. So you mentioned that, you know, NASCAR figured, or at least Berlin, the folks there, they're like, yeah, he'll probably run mid pack. Like he wasn't outlaws. And then when you weren't and you were running up front, they were caught off guard. Were you caught off guard when you were that much better in those specific cars? Or did you know that you had the ability? Uh, I think that the first, first test that it felt a lot more, I, I, I felt a lot more comfortable. I was like, man, these are, I like these leagues a lot better. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was running the outlaw. I was running the outlaw like a template and I didn't know it, you know, cause I didn't know what, how you're supposed to run a template. So where I was lifting and how I was getting on the gas and how I was managing it, my, my driving style, however, uh, just, just fit the template better than I did the outlaw. And then you responded well after that rules bulletin put you on the sidelines for a little bit because when you were eligible to run, you responded and you won the track championship at Berlin. Was that in Super Lates, by the way? Yeah, same class. Yeah, same class. So I'm sure that that had to feel good just from like a personality standpoint, right? You're like, all right, I'm really young. I'm doing my thing. They try to yuck my yum over here, sit me on the <laughs> sidelines, and then I come back with a vengeance under the rules that they've created now and i put a whooping on them again you probably had to feel like the king of the world at that point yeah i mean i felt i felt good uh the racer in me was wanted to win a lot more races but uh mm. but it was it was good for sure it was it was a good feeling yeah so take me through that season as a whole though i mean you said you wanted to win some more races but i'm sure that overall you probably got a handful of checkered flags and also just gaining a lot of experience because at this point you're still 14 years old right so you're getting a lot of experience winning a lot of races and we joked about putting that thing on the top of your resume that they changed the rule but that's a big deal winning a track championship especially at berlin which actually recently just won the my track advanced auto parts award mm -hmm. so i mean that's a big big deal especially at that age for you yeah, I mean, it was huge. I mean, if they were going to make a movie about my life, that they would hone in on that season because there yeah. was everything. I uh, I broke my wrist in a, a crash and finished the race and, uh, you know, won a handful of races. But also, there, it was the first time they had, like, twin 35s, and they used to have, like, 70-lap features. And so everybody, all of a sudden, you know, everybody's short run was just as good as everybody else's, where mm. the 60-lap feature... You know, you get spread out. There's some log run covers and goers, and real lazy, uh, lazy really. And and it was like every week it was twin 35s, and it was just full on. You know, everything. And then the last race was 251, and the dude I was racing for a championship with with the playoffs because they decided to do playoffs for whatever reason. He was like, he went a lap down. They gave him a wave around. He went a lap down again. Gave him a wave around, and it's how they do the segments is like it's 25 to go at the end and there was only like five cars on the lap i was running like third and he was running fifth so i was like this dude spent two laps down at this point and i gotta race him yeah in 25 laps but it it was fun i'm glad it ended on top and it was it, there was a lot going on sounds like the dale jr rule like in nascar and the cup series like up oh, debris put it out jr's about to go a lap down i feel like that guy was probably getting some preferential treatment but you got the last laugh so so that works out. All right, I want to go back for a sec. You broke your wrist in a wreck, and the same yeah. race you finished. Yeah. So I I did the normal thirteen year old. So I got wrecked by the. I had a battery going bad 
leading and the dude crashed me. And so he got by me for the lead the next week and they're yelling at me, don't hit him, don't hit him. And, you know, I'm just zoned in. I'm like, all right, you're getting moved, moved, buddy boy. Like Mm -hmm. you get, you're getting something. And I just tapped him getting in and I hit the wheels with him and it swung the wheel right around and it snapped my wrist like that. and because i was had my thumb inside for whatever reason when it snapped to the left and then slapped to the right full locked both ways it fractured it two bones and i never broke anything before i didn't know what was going on the safety crew's yelling at me i'm getting yelled at in the radio are we done or not i'm just i started telling everybody shut up i don't even know i can't feel anything right now (laughs) like i don't know like i was like it's got to be broke i can't move it this is what everybody says like and I took my glove off and I couldn't find my glove to like put it back on. So the safety crew had to like undo my window net, pick it up. And I yelled at him. I was like, just let me finish the last 20 something laps. And I just went around like one handed. Oh my God. I've never heard that before. I don't think I've ever heard of any driver breaking a bone and finishing the race. I mean, you hear all this stuff like carbon monoxide poisoning and Oh, back then they were real racers. Oh, I, I had that too. I had that last year at Daytona Road Course, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, because it was so hot and my cool box went bad. Uh, I think I, I want to claim it because I fell out of the seat completely and everybody else did. I'm like, I thought my condition was way better than that. Yeah. So then my cool box was bad. So I'm blaming it on that now. But the niece probably doesn't want that because I probably <laughs> just fell out of the seat. Like, I'm blaming yeah, it's not something. Like, it's fine. Yeah. yeah it's fine. But yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I broke my wrist. So which one was worse? Was it was it when you fell out of the seat at the road course, or when you broke your freaking wrist? Oh, that one, that one was worse. because I didn't know where I was at. Like I, I was, you were keying up the, I was keying up the radio uh, at Daytona Road Course, and I thought I was talking, and apparently they came on channel two and asked if I was speaking English because <laughs> I didn't know what I was saying. You were uh, that out of yeah. it. I was that out of it. I didn't know where I was at. And when I like, cause they, they wrecked in front of me and I crashed and like, thank God I, I did. It, it ended like five laps earlier because oh I didn't like, I would loosen, I loosen up my belts a little bit and like lean into every shift and like, yeah, it was, it was a nightmare. Obviously the breaking wrist was obviously was the worst after, but in the moment, like my adrenaline was at an all time high. Yeah, and yeah, I was like, man, like I, I, I finished the race. It didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. It, like, it doesn't hurt till like you put the cast in and all of a sudden the bones move again. Mm. That's the worst. So it, that was, and then my mom was like, Oh, you're going to have a surgery. And right there I lost. I was like, I'm good. I'm good. And we got to the hospital and she's like, yeah, you're probably going to have surgery. She just broke her wrist like a few months ago. I was like, wow, oh, this is just going bad. Like, <laughs> And she's like, yeah, you're going to have surgery. And I know she had like six surgeries because they always kept screwing it up. I'm like, this is, this is getting bad. (laughs) But no, it was just a hair. It wasn't that bad. It was just a hairline fracture, like, and a cracked bone. So it's still, it's still like cracked in half right here. So it's like, it's not rounded off. Okay. But you say that you're like, yeah, it's not that bad. It's a hairline fracture, but you broke it in an accident. And then you finished the race one handed. Like people don't do that. (laughs) <laughs> I think any racer would really do it. I think would they though? They should, With a broken I think, wrist? I mean, I think I think so. At least I would. Like, I'll I'd, take your word for it. I I I'd, I'd do it. I I just figure out how to do it. Like I was 
in the Daytona road course, the, uh, there were 17 laps to go, and I was winded. I was, I just kept asking. I was like, there's only 17 laps to go. There's only 17 to go. And, you know, in my head, I'm like, don't think about it. That's an hour. That's an hour. Don't think about it. Like, that's At two least minutes. An that's hour, like three yeah. minutes a lap. That's three minutes left. <laughs> like, I'm just like, yeah, it's just 17 trips around. No big deal. Like, even though it's like three miles. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. I, re- I wish I could hear the radio back to hear what you what language you were speaking. Because if, if they couldn't I wish understand I could you, then too. it must have been bad. Because I thought I was clearly, and they, they keep saying every time, they're like, no, you were, you, we didn't know what you were saying at that rate. <laughs> and I was running eighth, which is even more scary. They're like, man, you could fish top 10. I was like, I'd be lucky if I saw tomorrow at that rate. This is last <laughs> like, year, you was, said? That was last year. This year was, was a lot easier. Who was your crew chief at that point? Uh, Cody Efall. Okay, I really want to have him on now so I can be like, what the hell was Carson saying in that race? <laughs> Just to figure that out. Yeah, Man. Yeah. I, I mean, I, everybody was falling out of the seat. So I think oh, yeah, was, no doubt. Like, I've never had a cool box before because it was my first truck race, and I wasn't expecting the heat and everything. And I that probably was your didn't, first one ever. First, that was my, or that was my debut with Nice. That was like my third truck got race. You, got but, you. Yeah. but it was the first one a day, and then it was all humid, like 100 degrees. It was hot. Yeah, I just remember what, like, sort of remembering, uh, like, the medical center, and there was like twenty-two people in there. Like, there was a line of them, like, waiting for beds. Jeez, yeah, you'll get that when it's that humid in Daytona. All right, so broken wrist, uh, not speaking English over the radio, and falling out of the seat. What other weird things have happened to you in a race car, whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally? Because I feel like you got a good list. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know. There's there's a handful. There's like there was one where at the Derby, uh, like it, it just happened to be a coincidence that I, I wrecked this dude uh, unintentionally, of course. But I picked him up. It was the last chance race. And I picked him up by accident. He got loose and slid across my nose. I had him picked up, and I was trying to let him off. And what he set down, he was already so skewed out that he spawned and wrecked and whatever. And when we had the red flag, we turned around, we stopped and turned four, and his pit box was literally right to my left. Oh, so his whole crew was just screaming at. He was screaming at me. At, mm-hmm. I'm just like trying to like just hide <laughs> and I'm like I don't I don't see you. Turn my radio down a little bit. Like yep. trying to scoop forward, like trying to bump forward and everything, <laughs> but. But it was, I mean, it's, it's racing. Everybody has a run in with everybody. And yeah. now I talk to their, their crew owner all the time when I see him. Uh, you know, obviously I think the, the driver still is, is probably a little butthurt about it, which I would be too. But, uh, but the owners and, and, and both of them were, were cool about it the next time I saw him. And, um, you know, I think, I think that everybody has a run in with everybody eventually. Yeah. You'll get that big time auto racing. It's just, that's All right. Those things that happens. So let's go back to, to Berlin, what we were talking about. You win the track championship there, and that kind of starts your ascent into NASCAR, some ARCA races. You're obviously full-time now in the truck series with Nice. I assume that getting to NASCAR and running national series races, obviously you're starting your career now. You, you want to get higher and higher, I assume. Was that always the goal for you? Was the goal always NASCAR or were you content to stay on the short tracks and run locally? Uh, I mean, I'd love to, uh, my, my goal was NASCAR. Um, you know, I didn't, 
think I'd 100% get there. And, you know, I, you know, always the kid in you is like, oh, I, I could get there. It's going to be easy. Like, just, just win races and you'll get there. But, Especially uh, for winning as much as you were, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I didn't win any ARCA stuff, so it made it a lot harder. But it's yeah. uh, but when we, we did our ARCA deal, uh, it was with my, with my late mile team. And so it's real small, you know, going against Gibbs and Metrini and, you know, these, we had one, one employee and he, he's never seen an ARCA car before. And we're trying to do a full schedule <laughs> and, uh, you know, we ran, I'd say decent, but I mean, decent for ARCA is not going to get you a lot of places. Yeah. yeah. Um, and got the deal or got an opportunity with Jordan to do Eldora. And I think that was the biggest, biggest thing for me was running Eldora and, and running up front, you know, I think the truck series at, at Eldora was really good for me because there's not an equipment barrier or anything. It's just, right. you know, you're raw speed, John driver, and you can, you can do a lot with your setup uh, to make you really good. And I think we just hit it and we're in like seventh in stage one. And I think that was, that was huge. And uh, did Phoenix just to get kind of used to it, uh, get approved for maybe a shot next year. And went to the shop a lot, and Jordan was in the same shop as Nice, and I went to the shop almost every day that I could. And you know, Cody Efa at Nice saw that and called me, you know, January maybe, and and was expecting me to call him, uh, but I didn't. I didn't know that Nice had a ride. I didn't know. I didn't know him. I didn't talk to really any him. I didn't know who he really was. I knew. I knew a lot of the nice guys because we were in the same shop and you right. know, I'd joke around with them and everything, but uh, he called me and, or he called my dad and was expecting a call and worked out a deal because he, he saw something in me that I didn't really see myself that year. And, uh, you know, I think it, it worked out so far. So what didn't you see in yourself that you think that they saw in you? Like, was your confidence down? Were you just not running like you wanted to? What was going on mentally for you? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't win that year. Uh, I never, never went winless before in my life. You know, rather it be a, a late model quarter midget or whatever. So going winless was huge for me. Uh, just tear you down you you wonder if it's yourself you can't you can't blame the car every week at a certain rate you, you suck you got to come back to reality at some point and look in the mirror and mm -hmm. look at all your options and you know there's a handful of times that i thought it, that'd be my last year or you know i just go go run local late models or mm. type deal and you know luckily a lot of things spun into effect and there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes a lot of you know fighting words or I don't, I don't know this a lot of tension, I guess it would be the best, best way to say it between, um, you know, my ARCA team and me. And, um, so, so to be able to go to Nice Motorsports and then believe in me and then have, have speed. And, um, you know, they believed in me this year to go full time that I can run for a championship and run for wins. And, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't believe them to be honest, but I was like, man, like I, I, we've shown speed, but I just, I couldn't seal the deal. I couldn't, we'd always run better than I'd finish and, and I'd make stupid mistakes. And, um, you know, I think we're starting to finally iron those out this year. So it's I think benefiting us for sure. Definitely starting to iron those things out because as we're talking, we're heading into Coda, but you're coming off of a heck of a run at Darlington. You finished third, but you led your first laps. And if it wasn't for that pesky little side skirt, I really think you would have had a shot at the win. And that was your first time there, right? No practice. 
no qualifying. You go out there, you lead laps, you finish top five. I assume that you took a liking to that place pretty quickly, even though it's the track too tough to tame. No, that place is really fun. Like I, I kind of joked with, with Phil and I was like, well, what, what should I expect at Donald's? He's like, yeah, the tires wear out. It's real slick. You need mechanical grip. And I was, I just keep, I just like light it up. I was like, man, that's, that's my kind of place. Like yeah. I'm right up my alley. And I was like, well, uh, but if it comes Sunday or whatever day it is and we don't run good, don't, don't quote me on it. It just wasn't my place. <laughs> but, uh, but I was, I, I was glad I could bring up my word and it, it really suited me a lot. Uh, just yeah. trying to find mechanical grip, really keep momentum up. Um, you know, I've never had a place, but, uh, you know, the slick tracks have really been what, what I've kind of accustomed to. Yeah. Yeah. Were you just like fuming inside the car when the side skirt thing happened? Cause I think I was scanning your guys' radio and you were kind of like a disbelief. And I was like, man, cause it was fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, well, I thought that was, that was going to be it. I was really low. I was like, man, like, I think I said something stupid and was like all mad. And then I realized that, you know, I, I was trying to keep everybody pumped up. And, you know, I think that's one thing that I think is, is my strong suit is not letting things boil over too much. You know, I try to like, even when I go to the shop, I try and make sure everybody's having a good time, a laugh, like whatever. Uh, you know, I try and learn a bit, but I also try and make sure that, you know, I, I mean, I do it for myself, but I also like, I think it benefits when you look back yeah. on it, you know, everybody has a good time and shows up to the shop, you know, you know, enjoying it. If, if it's it rubs off, not yeah. too, not too serious. Uh, so I, I instantly turned around and was like, well, I can see, I can see where I was just at. It's not that far up. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not like, like a handful of people stayed out. I was like, oh, we only lost like six or seven spots. It'll be all right. We've been fast. These guys already We're good. And I was, I even said, I was like, man, if they, they decide to all die in turn one, like at least I'm going to miss it. And what do you know? sure enough, I got through the restart box and I heard my spotter go, well, they're wrecking, <laughs> pick a lane. <laughs> i was like all right you know I was, I was more disbelief and i was like oh shoot i actually gotta avoid this thing for a minute yeah but um yeah i think i think the side skirt helped us and but i think we just needed more more laps more than anything i think that's what cost us with. i mean we had the car the wreck was like with 30 something to go and we went back green with like five to go yeah like, i feel I like know. it was just like a green white checkered like i think we had the red flag and then did 12 more laps of yellow and then they wrecked twice again. So we were at a green, white checker. Yeah. And you know, you can't, you can't go from fourth to fourth to first at, at Darlington on a restart because everybody's side drafting everybody. If I got cleared, maybe I could go third to first, but yeah. I was always Johnny Sauter was always right on my door. Yeah. It was like a blessing in disguise that that side skirt happened. Like you said, it's like the best thing that could happen. Cause that way you weren't in the middle of that huge, it literally was Talladega going into turn one and you were just chilling oh, yeah. back there. You picked the right lane and you got through it unscathed. And then one minute you're down in the dumps because of this damn side skirt. Three minutes later, you're running back in the top 10 because everybody's wrecked. Yeah. You go from, I went from wanting to, to punch whoever didn't put the side skirt on to wanting <laughs> to hug him for sure. Yeah. That's funny how that works. And you had a really nice looking truck as well. A Johnny Benson throwback on there, which is one of my favorites. I love that paint scheme and that 10 car. I was, you know, I've been asking a lot of people with their throwbacks, like 
okay, you throw him back to Dale Jarrett. Have you told him about it? Have you contacted him about it? Does he like it? You clearly have a relationship with Johnny. So I obviously, you know, like you told him about this as it was in the works. I assume that he liked how the truck looked, right? Yeah, he liked it. Uh, his sister liked it. I know that. So they were they were both happy, and I think cool. they were both happier that it, it ran up front more than anything. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's the big thing there. Uh, so let's talk about Johnny a little bit. I mentioned it earlier that we come back to it, so here we are. You've been with him for a while now, um, and you guys just got hooked up when you were young, and he was trying to help you work your way up through the ranks. Now that you're running full-time in trucks, right, you're coming off of a top five at Darlington, running a throwback to one of his iconic schemes. You know, what does he think of all of this? Because he obviously had his time in the National Series, a lot of success in trucks, and ran in the Xfinity and the Cup Series. But to see this happen with you, in a way, you know, a lot of drivers that I've talked to that are trying to mentor younger drivers, they say that they're kind of living vicariously through that protege, that younger driver, and trying to help them through the ranks and have them learn things that they didn't know, but that they should know at the certain ages. So what does he think of all of this going on for you right now that you're, you're killing it in the truck series now? Yeah, I think, I think it succeeded his expectations uh, for sure. You know, I think, uh, you know, I think obviously his, his goal for me was to go to NASCAR and head that route. But I, I, I think if he said that he thought I had, a decent shot at making it to NASCAR. I think he, he would be lying to you, to be honest. So, um, you know, you, you just, it's so hard to get there and, and have everything fall right. And, um, uh, but I think he, he's proud. At least I hope he is. And, um, but, uh, I, you know, I call him before almost every truck race and, and just ask questions and talk about it. Uh, talk about the racetrack. Um, you know, just, try and pick his brain a little bit. And, you know, my joke is that, you know, he taught me how to drive a race car. Now he's teaching my dad the business side of it, you know, that type of deal. <laughs> you need both to succeed. That's so right. wh why did he, why did he not really think that you would make it to the top just because it's so hard to get there? Cause he obviously had the faith in your driving ability. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's so tough. Um, you know, he was there from the start, you know, at 12 or 11, even exactly, when we first yeah. started testing. So it's, you know, a lot of things could happen, either good or bad there. You know, I think he he probably saw that I, I, I'd have a decent shot. You know, I think he saw the progression. I just, you know, I didn't I didn't believe it in myself that I'd get there or get there this quickly. So, uh, you know, I, I doubt he, he did it or have times that he didn't think it was going to happen or not. But uh, it's definitely worked out. Did you have, like, a timeline that you wanted to get to a certain place by a certain time or – is it all just happened organically and that's why you're still kind of like, don't really know how or why I'm here, but I might as well make the most of it. Yeah. I mean, it just, it all happened organically. Uh, you know, everything just, just kind of fell together. Um, you know, how it, how it did, you know, I think everything just fell into place rather quickly. You know, I didn't have that many ARCA stars. I'd ever ran full-time ARCA. Right. Right. You know, I, I was, I was trying to get out of ARCA cause I think you could get, you could get stuck there. Um, mm -hmm you know, and, and try to get into the truck scene or at least have a showing in it. And, um, you know, I think honestly, if I didn't find Nice Motorsports, I probably wouldn't be in the truck shoes right now or, or wouldn't be full time. At least, you know, they're, 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 they're racers. You know, I, when I, when I go to North Carolina, I was hated that, uh, you know, race teams are called organizations. Like I think they should call it race teams, but you, the more you get into the business side of it, you learn it's, a, it's a company and not a race team. And, 
you understand it, but I think these motorsports definitely earns their, their motorsports, uh, you know, name, you know, they, they're going to take chances on drivers and, um, you know, I wasn't sponsored. They're, they're, they're putting faith in me and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely really refreshing and I don't think I'd be here without them. So you'd put Nice more towards the race team spectrum than the organization spectrum. Absolutely. You know, they're all, they're all racers, uh, you know, in, in the shop, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. a racer. You know, I think every race team would say that, but they're all like, it was funny. The first, first time I really met them, you know, it's, it was just really funny that they're all had something to do with like dirt sprint cars or dirt light models or something. They all kind of yeah. came from like the short track dirt side, which is not, not very often. I think it's, that's really refreshing because the dirt seems so different than asphalt. Yeah. Well, speaking of dirt, let's talk about that for a second. You had a really nice Brian Clausen tribute on the car, on the truck at Bristol dirt. And I mean, we've talked about your background. You're not a dirt guy per se, right? I mean, you've run local asphalt short tracks pretty much your entire life growing up, but Brian Clausen has always had a really profound impact on you. I see you wear his hat a lot at the racetrack. You got the BC 39 on there. Why Brian Clausen? Why such a big impact on you and why dirt? Yeah. Um, you know, I was always some sort of, of a dirt fan. Uh, you know, I've, I watch it all the time, especially dirt midgets. And when I was running quarter midgets, obviously Brian was at the top of his game at the time. And, mm-hmm. uh, Tim would come to the quarter midget track and I kind of had a mutual relationship, uh, with another dad at the racetrack that knew Tim. So, and my dad and Tim and, uh, got along and, I got a chance to at least learn from Brian a bit. He'd come to the quarter midget track and he'd show me, show me tricks and how to learn, um, you know, how to keep the thing pitched out or whatever to, for that day. And, you know, him and Tim, and the first time I ever ran a dirt midget was with them. When I tested there, I was trying to figure out if I wanted to go the asphalt route with Johnny or go the dirt route. And, uh, you know, I wanted to do both and it didn't quite work out. And I went the asphalt route just because my, my end goal was late or was NASCAR mm-hmm. and the dirt route would be the end goal of world outlaws. And, right. Um, you know, I wanted to head that route, but you know, I've always kind of kept up with Tim and everything. And, you know, he was, I didn't really have any idols growing up it's, and it's, it began to be Brian as I grew up and, um, you know, it, it hit hard when he passed and if I could try and keep, his legacy. I always wear his, his merchandise shirts, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I know Tim appreciates that, but I, I don't really do it for Tim. I do it for myself just cause, uh, yeah, I, I think it pays respect to him more than anything. Did you get to have some conversations with Brian before he passed? I know you were young, but did you pick his brain at all or just kind of have an impact on him from like a mentorship perspective? Yeah, I mean, we didn't have a lot, but, you know, I, I went to the dirt track a handful of times, you know, just trying to learn, um, just kind of see what the sprint car world's like, you know, if that wanted to be a direction. So that I remember I go, I went to Kokomo once or twice, went to Plymouth once, just kind of just helped wa- watch out, watch. And, um, you know, there are a few times he came to the quarter midget track and, uh, you know, my car was a handful to deal with and I didn't win but they, they thought that was better because they could see me fighting with it and mm-hmm. making changes in the car. And they, they told me how to do it and I won the next race. So uh, in the next class, 
so I remember that it was at the Brickyard in the parking lot at Indy. So I thought that was uh, a real special, yeah. special moment for me. And then, uh, and then when I ran the first ever dirt, dirt midget micro sprint, um, they were there, him and Tim. Pretty cool. Let's go back to NASCAR for a little bit. We, we mentioned Nice a little bit more. I want to dive more into that. You got a lot of people to lean on there from an organizational perspective. I mean, Brett, before he left, I'm sure you picked his brand a little bit. Uh, you got Ryan Truex there, Al Nice, of course, running the ship. Ross Chastain comes in every now and then. But you got hooked up recently with Phil Gould as your group, as your crew chief. He was on top of the pit box at Darlington. And, you know, when I talk to people about Nice, they always point to Phil as kind of a mastermind in terms of setup, unloading off the truck fast, and then adjusting on the truck throughout the race to make sure that it's handling properly. There's a lot of resources that you have available to you at Nice specifically, moreover Team Chevy. We'll get to that in a minute. But overall, just being a part of the team that Nice is, I'm not going to say organization, the race team that it is, it's got to be nice to have all these different drivers with a lot of experience to lean on, Al who knows what he's doing, and Phil who definitely has a knack for stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, learning from Cody Efaw, uh, you know, he crew chief me basically the all – all uh all of my truck races mm-hmm. this year and planned on him and with brett leaving um felt like it was the best way to win races was was switching to phil yeah. and uh you know luckily i i go to the shop every day i'm in north carolina whether i do anything or not uh you know on the trucks i i just i love being there yeah. love the atmosphere everything so i i know phil i know his kid you know we talk about his his son's late mall stuff all the time um so I already had that relationship with, and, uh, you know, I talked to Ross right before the race, just trying to see, cause he's, he's crew chiefed with Cody and Phil and just, you know, picked his brain on Darlington. Uh, you know, I call Ross a lot, uh, before races lean on him, look at data with him. Um, but leaned on him, just what, what to expect with the difference between Cody and Phil. And, mm-hmm. Uh, luckily our truck was really good, so we didn't have to make any adjustments, didn't have to do any real wild car strategy and, uh, you know, just kind of got to kind of just learn each other on the radio. You're also part of the driver's edge development program. And I feel like that gets a little bit undercovered because you have the Toyota racing development pipeline with drivers like Ty Gibbs, Harrison Burton, you got Ford, Haley Deegan's a part of that one. And Chevy has a lot of really good young drivers, all the junior motorsports guys. Sam Mayer's in there who's going to be running for them later this year. But they also have a handful of truck drivers as well. Zane Smith's with them, as are you. Leaning on them as well as a resource and having Dale Jr. obviously in that specific corner as well. It's got to be good to have that resource to lean on as well. And Chevrolet, the Bowtie Brigade, they've had plethora of success all across motorsports, especially in trucks. So being associated with Team Chevy's got to be a nice plus as well. Yeah, it's been big. Um, you know, the biggest thing is working with Josh Wise. For um, sure. You know, b- both on you know physical training. You know, we all go on big runs together and trying to just get physically fit, go to go karts, whatever the case may be. Bike rides too. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, but more than anything, just look at data. Um, you know, that's something I never really got to look at. Never got in a, a, in a boardroom and and talked about race cars. You know, I just, I used to just get on the, there on, on race day and try to play chicken with everybody else. That's, <laughs> that was my motto. Um, but 
you know, I, I never got a chance to go to the Chevy Sim or and just work on driving technique and looking at data and looking at, you know, graphs and, and in-car video. You know, I never got to better myself as a driver. Um, you know, you can you can have a mentor and, you know, get told here and here. But, um, you know, when you're looking at Chase Elliott's graph or on his braking compared to yours or whatever the case may be, looking at pit road signs and, yeah. and really digesting it all with with info in front of your, your eyes, um, and not in the race car. Um, I think that's been, been pretty big. At least it's a different change of pace to at least have that knowledge that you know, I didn't have before. Was it overwhelming at first? Because I feel like it's a whole new world coming from the local short track scene. And like you mentioned in Arca and then coming to team Chevy, getting hooked up with everybody and having this overload of data and this amazing simulator and all these incredible brains to pick their minds must be like a overload of information in a good way. Yeah. I mean, the schedules over was overwhelming earlier this year for sure. Um, Cause I was back and forth from North Carolina to Michigan. I didn't have an apartment yet. I lived in a hotel for four weeks at one point and you know, I'm running back and forth, you know, Chevy, Sam, you know, everything. So just, you know, all these guys have been doing it for a year or two. They're, right. they're used to it where I was, you know, back and forth. They, I don't live there full time. It's mm-hmm. not just, you know, I, I wake up and this is my schedule for the day. You know, I plan a week in advance. Everything's last second. Uh, you know, things change all the time. So it's, it's fun. I love, love to do it. And this is what I've dreamed of being busy like, but uh, it, it was definitely uh, overwhelming at times just trying to catch up with everything. Are you looking at like making a more permanent move down to North Carolina or still kind of not yet? I, I do have an apartment now. Oh, sweet. Uh, so I've been I've been basically living there. Um, I came home for the weekend in Michigan and, and heading back actually tomorrow morning. Good stuff. I'm glad we could get this in. A couple more questions. Uh, let's go back to, to the late model stuff, because during all this working your way up through ARCA and trucks, obviously that's your main focus, but you're still doing what's close to your heart and you're in your late models. You're running locally and nationally big time races. I personally am getting way more into the short track scene and I'm learning more about it each and every day. But I do know one thing that the Winchester 400 is a damn big race and you won that thing last year. That's probably got to be one of, if not the biggest win of your career, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. You know, I I think it was bigger for, for my team at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, Tom K Mac, Butch Van Doren, Johnny Van Doren, uh, you know, Van Doren race cars. They, they've been going at it for, years the, you know, that was their one they needed to win and they've lost it every it. way they could possibly do it and the, you know the first time that you know i get in the 71 for the winchester 400 you know we we, we all do it dominantly like i think the one like led 380 something at the 400 I remember that um yeah. so that was that was a big deal for bigger deal than for them i think just because you know for me it was a big race but for them i think it was you know it's the snowball derby to them. I think that it's it's bigger than the snowball derby to them mm-hmm. for sure. So it meant more to you to get the win for them than it did for yourself. Yeah, I think it that was how how cool. There's a there's a picture and just seeing the emotion that they had when I got out of the car, uh, just meant more to me than just just winning selfishly. Uh, so that was that was really cool. Do they have the trophy or do you have it? Uh, yeah, they, they got all, all got trophies. So I got the original one. Oh, sweet. Uh, and then they all bought trophies. Uh, I think there's like nine of them. They all got replicas nice. identical. 
Might so. as well get him if you can, right? It's a big day. That's right. So that's that was a huge win for you. I assume that one of the races that you still want to win, probably at the top of the list, is the snowball. Um, are there other ones in between there that you're eyeing maybe this year or even next year that you're like, all right, I'm going to try to put some extra effort onto that one. I need that one. Uh, I want to win the All-American 400 for sure. I've been somewhat close, somewhat not. Um, you know, I've kind of been there and been there been there at the end on both and, and blew it on both uh, in, in turn one twice. So I, I'm trying to <laughs> trying to do it. Uh, problem spot. Do it again, again this year. Cool. Well, we'll be watching. Uh, I got a couple more. Your pit sign for this year. It's Gumby, right? Yep. Was that your idea? Totally your idea? No, that was uh, that was the shop. So I have a lot of a lot of nicknames in the shop, and and one of them is is Gumby. Wow. And I didn't even know what Gumby was, so just because I'm so tall. And I figured. Uh, yeah. So they they called me Gumby, and you know they're like, "Oh, you're that's gonna be your pit sign. You're gonna show up." <laughs> And one day there's going to be a pit sign. I'm like, all right. You know, last, last year I was part-time and I never even got a pit sign. Half the time I was either using Ross's watermelon sign or the 44. <laughs> and I'm the 40. So that was confusing. <laughs> I, was, I was like, can, can we get a pit sign for this year? Like, like, I don't care what it is. I just like, can I have like a designated one? That way I'm not changing every time. Yeah. And uh, they all, they, me, Ryan and Brett uh, all got pit signs and, and mine ended up being Gumby. That's funny because I assume that you like picked it out because you're a big Gumby guy, but no, it's just your team poking fun at you. No, yeah, I, I mean, I I embrace it. They always ask, like, "You're all right with this, right?" Like we're not like inside <laughs> hurting your feelings, right? It's like no, like I can I dish it out way more than everybody oh, else. Yeah. Like I can take it back. Like it's it's fine. Yeah. No, we like the witty banter. That's fun. What do you like to do away from the track? Like, I, I feel like people don't know enough about you, and we're going to be hearing a lot about you for years and years to come. So tell the people a little bit about Carson away from the racetrack. What do you like to do? How do you like to spend your time? Uh, I mean, I mean, I, one thing I figured out last year with COVID and lockdown and everything is my life's very boring without the racetrack. So, um, <laughs> it's I like, sitting at I like, your iRacing simulator. Yeah, I like obviously playing video games and whatever, doing the normal teenage stuff, but, um, I like just going to work out actually, um, just trying to just be active, um, uh, and, and more than anything, just be around people. Uh, you know, I've spent enough of my life by myself. Like I want to be around. I want to, like, if I could just go full board and just have a good time 24 seven with everybody and not sleep ever, that's what I did. Yeah. If I didn't need sleep, I would probably do that as well. What about exactly. like favorite food? Are you pizza guy, burgers? Like what, what's your favorite kind of food? Uh, love pasta, love chicken fajitas. Those are the two go-tos. Uh, I go to Applebee's all the time. Um, go like three or four times a week. used to go four or five times a week. Wow. Um, man, mainly because everything was, when I was growing up, everything closed really early yeah, in my town. And fair. Applebee's was the only one open and my parents always worked late. So it was always just good Applebee's, you know, type deal. And, and the joke in Quarterman just was Applebee's, and it's actually turned into a small sponsor deal. So I was going to say, we need to turn that into some sponsorship dollars. So they so they give us gift cards, like maxed out gift cards. All right. And this and that. So that's how it's – it's and, and we blow through it real quick, but it's uh, but it works out. You know, the joke turned into, into something. I like that. Well, we were talking at the beginning of the interview, so I went to college at Michigan State. I don't think I ever tried Culver's when I was in Michigan for four years. Are you a big Culver's guy? Because it's a big Midwestern and Michigan thing. 
Yeah, I mean, like, everybody talked about, like, in and outs like, all the, like, in and outs like, King Supreme. Yeah. So I went and tried it, and I was like, like, man, like, every, like Culver's is better than this. Like, <laughs> I'll get Culver's all day long. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's good. Uh, I'm, you got to get it I, animal style at in and out mm, But the fries yeah, are, like, like, cardboard, but you get animal style, and it's just, like, masks the cardboard but i i like i haven't even tried culver's it probably is way better than in and out i get in and out because it's like the novelty of it being on the west coast yeah like it's like a big thing like it's and and i tried it i was like man like like i was expecting like king supreme like it was like you know in and done like it's like a gourmet type you know fast food burger like it'll be top notch and i was like this is just like basic like you could go to culver's and so i mean it's I think anything from a fast food, just if, if you're overhyping it that much, is actually not that good. Like if you're, if you're, I think if you beat the drum on anything so much, like you're, you're just beating the drum on nothing. Like, what about Chick-fil-A? Cause there's not really that many in the state of Michigan, but now that you're down in North Carolina, there's a bunch. So I tried it for the first time at the Charlotte architest. Mm. Uh, Brandon McReynolds was running and he offered to get everybody lunch. He came back with Chick-fil-A and I never tried it before. And there was, and fell in love with it and literally started eating just like there was extra food, like extra chicken strips, man, like eating those. And then like this year, uh, town, uh, Chick-fil-A opened later last year in my town. So, nice. so I, it's always packed, but I, I, I'll go there every now and again. The sauce is just, it's, it's the best sauce in the history of mankind. It's just simple as that. See, I'm, I'm big on the, on the barbecue sauce, but the Chick-fil-A sauce is pretty good. It's a little yeah. spicy for me, though. I'm, I'm a wimp when it comes. The Chick-fil-A sauce, for me, it's kind of like a mix of honey mustard and the barbecue sauce. Yeah. It's great. It's great. I had a bunch of coupons that expired yesterday, so I went. I got a big haul. It's my dinner tonight. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, what about, like, other sports? Do you, do you root for the Michigan sports teams? Are you an, are you a big stick and ball guy, or is it just all racing all the time? I mean, it's a lot of racing, but I, I pay attention to football a little bit because my, my dad's – from Cleveland, so he's a Cleveland Browns fan, and I'm a lion. So I'll do the Lions, and it's always just like, all right, which one's gonna be last this year? <laughs> you know. But now the Browns are actually getting halfway decent, so now it's not yeah. that fun anymore. Lions got a new but coach all, too, and a new quarterback. Yeah, so, so I'm just looking for, you know, best of the worst. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I'm a Washington football team fan, and usually my sports teams let me down. Knock on wood. Recently, we've been doing well, so I feel you. I also should have asked this at the beginning, but were you a fan of a college team? And please, if you were, don't let it be Michigan. Uh, I, I wasn't really, but uh, my quarter midget teammate was Michigan University, so I did state. Yes, Carson. Yeah, so, so, so I've done state. Like So at any time, like, it's just Michigan State plus Green's a lot yes. cooler. Love it. Oh, God, that is the perfect place to end it. New favorite truck series driver for me, even though I'm unbiased. Carson, host of our man, Michigan State fan, noted. Chick-fil-A enthusiast, noted. Gumby pit sign, noted. Uh, It was great to catch up with you. I'm glad we finally found the time, and I'm glad that uh, we're able to sit down and do this. Thank you for telling your story a little bit. I hope the listeners were able to glean a little bit more information from you because, as I mentioned, you know, people know you from the short track scene, but they don't know a whole lot about you in that scene, and we are definitely going to be hearing about you and seeing you for years to come in the NASCAR circuit. So best of luck this upcoming weekend and for the rest of the season. I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot from you. Yeah, thanks, David. I appreciate it. And we're back. 
want to give a big thank you to Carson and Michelle at Nice Motorsports for helping coordinate that conversation. I know everybody's busy, especially this time of year, but his time is greatly appreciated. So Carson, appreciate you, my man, and go green, baby. Love that you're a state supporter, anything but Michigan. Let's talk about this weekend's upcoming race. The Circuit of the Americas is the host of this weekend's Echo Park Texas Grand Prix for the NASCAR Cup Series. Xfinity Series also in action, as are the Truck Series. First time at this facility. I said on the Front Stretch podcast this week, the drinking phrase is going to be world-class facility, but it really is true. There's not a lot of places that NASCAR races at that are Formula One sanctioned and Formula One approved, but Circuit of the Americas, CODA, is one of them. I'm really excited for it. 20 turns over three miles. Nobody's ever raced here before in NASCAR. So do we know what we're going to see? Absolutely not, which makes it so, so exciting. Chase Elliott and Martin Truex Jr., they're going to be the two favorites, right? It's a road course, so of course they're going to be the drivers to beat at least some of them. And we got Xfinity and Truck in action too. As I said, Paul Menard's in the truck race. Uh, we got Kevin Harvick in the Xfinity race, Cole Cusser's in the Xfinity race, a ton of drivers either making their debuts in specific series or cup drivers going down and competing in Xfinity. I'm really, really excited for this weekend. Practice and qualifying is on deck. Oh man, it feels like good old times, BC before COVID, doesn't it? All the action this Sunday on the Fox Family and Networks for Xfinity and Trucks as well. 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox Sports 1. Coda, welcome to NASCAR. Lug Nuts of the Week. Cue that funky music, white boy. Dover penalties. Randall Burnett, Tyler Reddick's crew chief, Luke Lambert, Chris Busher's crew chief, Rudy Fugel, William Byron's crew chief, and Trent Owens, who is Ryan Priest's crew chief, all fined $10,000 for a loose lug nut. No suspensions, though. The big bombshell news that dropped this week, which I'm sure we'll talk about at length in the future. Brad Keselowski has been offered an ownership stake in Roush Fenway Racing for next year and beyond. Jim Utter first reported it and multiple other reports, notably Bob Pachris, point to it basically being a done deal. Unclear what that means for Ryan Newman in the six car, but we shall see how that develops. Kevin Harvick's going to be racing in the Xfinity Series race this weekend at Coda for BJ McLeod. Tyler Reddick's doing the same for Jordan Anderson Racing. Preston Partish joining DGM Racing. And Spencer Pompelli, he's making his Xfinity debut for JD Motorsports, replacing Ryan Vargas this weekend at Coda. Also, how about the said heads? Boris Seds in the race, Miguel Paluto, Cole Custer, Andy Lally, Kyle Busch, Austin Dillon, stacked entry list for the Xfinity race. Paul Menard's joining Thor Sport for the Truck Series event at Coda as well in the 66. Michelle Abate, she's making her truck debut for On Point Motorsports. Logan Bearden is joining Nice for Coda this weekend. Camden Murphy doing the same with Spencer Davis Motorsports. A lot of different drivers in different vehicles for the truck series. ONX Homes and I Fly Indoor Skydiving. They're sponsoring Daniel Suarez in Trackhouse this weekend. Kalahari Resorts and Conventions, they're sponsoring RCR this season once again. Capacity restrictions have been lifted for Las Vegas Motor Speedway. They will operate at 100% capacity for their upcoming race weekends. Kutek joins Mike Harmon Racing. They're sponsoring Bailey Curry this weekend. And Bo's Beautiful Blessings. They're sponsoring Kyle Weatherman. Pit Boss Grills is hopping aboard AJ Allmendinger's number 16 Collard Racing Chevrolet. 
and Whitetail Smokeless is sponsoring Jeremy Clements, former guest of Victory Lane, at Road America later on this summer. That'll wrap things up for episode 108 of Victory Lane 2.0, party people. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, if you like what you heard here today, please do me a favor, leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud, usually wherever you get your podcasts. We should be available there for your consumption, and I know it sounds trivial, but it really does help in spreading the word and getting this podcast out to more NASCAR fans to listen to. So I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. Let me know what you guys would like to see from the show. Any guests that you want to have on, tweet me, beat me. You know how to reach me. Until next week, stay safe. Get outside. Wear the mask if you feel so comfortable. Get vaccinated. Enjoy Coda. And I'll catch you guys on the flip side.